0: Hi I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 66 of my podcast Beekeeping Short and Sweet. It's been a busy week as we clear some of the supers ready for extraction and begin the process of moving hives to field beans. Short and sweet—a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. This has to be one of the more exciting weeks of the year, as if beekeeping isn't exciting enough. Of course, we've been through the long, cold winter. Well, it wasn't that long or cold, really, and that seems a distant memory now. And I always get excited about the start of the new season, but... Then we get really busy and this year seems to have been quite swarmy to say the least. I've managed to use that to my advantage though and have seen a significant increase in colony numbers by making quite a number of splits and collecting several swarms that I missed from my own colonies. I've had an above average number of phone calls relating to collecting swarms, the majority of them being bumblebee nests. It always surprises me that more people struggle with the simple identification of our bumblebees. That said, I guess people aren't quite so connected with the natural world perhaps as they once were. I was very lucky growing up as my grandparents lived in the countryside – we visited them regularly, and I didn't have the distraction of technology in quite the way that young people seem to have these days. Anyway, back to the excitement of this week. Firstly, my thanks to Steph and Pete, without whose help I'd really struggle. It's always nice to have someone to lend a hand, but also someone to chat to about beekeeping. It can get quite isolating if you're on your own beekeeping. I think it's just that we get so busy. That we don't normally have much time to stop and strike up conversations. I have to acknowledge here that technology really does help bridge that gap sometimes so I'm not averse to using the mobile phone when I'm out in the apiaries as long as I can get a signal of course. So I have my willing helpers on hand to assist with the lifting and being on oilseed rape we certainly need a helping hand. Some of the boxes were very heavy indeed. What I thought I'd do today is explain the process that I use to go from a hive full of bees to honey in buckets. I think my methods for handling the various parts of the job can be easily adopted and adapted by most new or growing beekeepers, and of course I'm changing and adapting my various methods myself as our business grows and develops. I was chatting to Pete yesterday and described one of my funniest extraction day memories, that I had when my brother came over to help me this was many many years ago now I'm glad to say and shows how we've taken some fairly large steps to get where we are now we'd removed the supers from a few hives we had I think there must have been maybe 10 supers of honey to extract so you can see we were a very small enterprise back then I had an old galvanized extractor and settling tank not something you'd use these days as everything has to be stainless steel or food grade plastic, but back then we were both a lot poorer and a lot more naive about the ways of extracting honey. Anyway, I was living in a semi-detached house with a very nice but small sun lounge on the back of the property, south facing, and absolutely lovely to sit in and have a glass of beer in the late evenings. This however was turned into our honey room and piled high with equipment and boxes. We'd picked a lovely day for extracting but of course we had to keep the doors and windows shut to prevent tiny bees from sniffing out the honey and invading our workspace not to mention getting into the house. Well by the time we'd got ourselves ready to start the sun was up, the room was hot and getting hotter by the minute and we were stripped down to shorts and t-shirts. I think that's probably as much detail as I should go into regarding personal items of clothing but being keen to maintain what we thought was a good level of hygiene we both donned nitrile gloves and started the extraction work. At this point I should mention the extractor was a manual hand cranked extractor that took just two frames tangentially. That's the kind where you have to extract about half of one side of a frame stop the extractor turn the frame around extract the other side of the frame and then turn it back around again to finish extracting the remaining honey in the first side the idea being that you don't blow the wax in the frame by spinning it too fast on the first side right at the beginning. Well we got started uncapping using a steam driven uncapping tray and an electric uncapping knife and the temperature as you can imagine gradually rose and rose and rose. Nobody tells you that your hands can sweat as much as they do in those blue nitrile gloves but sweat we did. We were drinking water as fast as we could just to allow our bodies to sweat it out I think. Maybe that's a little too much detail, I do apologise. The upshot was that I think we may have invented the first isotonic sports drink, a combination of freshly extracted honey with let's say some liquid additives, natural salts and minerals. It's about as much fun as you can have trapped in a sun lounge trying to extract honey on a blazing hot day. Suffice to say all of the honey has long been sold, the lessons learnt and an electric radial extractor purchased shortly thereafter. I like to think of it as a learning curve, and of course I'm still on it. These days, of course, we have a clean honey room set up specifically for extracting, and I have a video of that on our Patreon page showing the equipment that we're using this year. All shiny and stainless steel, thankfully. Anyway, more of that in a short while. Let's rewind to adding the clearer boards. Again, I posted a short video on Patreon showing what I use. The rhombus bee escapes attached to a square of plywood work really well in clearing the bees for the vast majority of colonies. These are placed on an empty super for the bees to clear down into. Remember you may have several thousand bees in your super and these bees have to go somewhere when you're forcing them out of the supers full of honey. The clearer board goes on top of the empty super and the supers for extraction are placed on top of the clearer board. I like to give the bees an overnight period to clear down something around 8-12 to hours works just fine for me and also allows me to make sure that I'm all set up in the honey room. We move along the hives adding clearer boards and marking the supers with the hive number so we know which hive to put the supers back onto when they're empty. The following morning we return to remove the now empty supers It's a simple case of removing the roof and carefully lifting the supers gently off the clearer boards completely free of bees. That is in most cases. Sometimes the clearers just don't work and it's usually pretty obvious why not. So this week we found bees in one super because the queen had managed to squeeze through the queen excluder and up into the super and at some point had laid some eggs in the frames. Workers won't abandon the young larvae and eggs so they stay put in the super. It's useful really because you really don't want to be extracting larvae and eggs with your honey. It is a bit of a pain and needs to be sorted but sometimes it just happens that way. Another reason sometimes bees don't clear down is that they have no queen. No queen pheromone means the bees just don't seem interested in joining their fellow workers beneath the clearer board, and it's another good indicator to investigate further once you've finished removing honey. The truck our ford ranger stacked high with heavy supers looks fantastic it's always an exciting time you know the early season hard work that you've put in is paying dividends i like to make sure that everything's strapped down securely we use ratchet straps and i usually take two straps over the boxes at the back of the truck i think it's more for my own peace of mind as i don't think they would actually slip but it's one less thing to worry about i can't believe that we used to put all of our full honey supers in the back of my old Skoda Octavia estate car, but it was one of the most reliable vehicles I've ever had. The Ford Ranger truck is fantastic though, and we can get so many Supers stacked on the back. It has been a rather costly vehicle of late. Having to replace the turbo and intercooler was an expense I hadn't really wanted, but it is a real workhorse of a vehicle. I'm hoping to put a crane on the back to help with lifting, but I don't think that will be this year now. Anyway, We're off with lots of full supers stacked on the back of the truck, a short 30 minute drive and we're back home and moving honey supers into the honey room. It's really important that you don't leave any supers exposed in the open for any period of time because the local bees, honeybees and bumblebees will descend upon it like it's an all you can eat buffet. If you do want to stop for a cupper, move the supers into a secure room first. That's exactly what we did. This first batch was around 25 boxes and they all sit in trays in the honey room to prevent any honey dripping out and onto the floor. Talking of the floor, this year I've managed to get hold of a large photographic background roll of paper which I've cut and placed on the floor. I do have a washable floor but the propolis and honey sticks solid to it so this year I've covered the floor to make cleaning up afterwards easier. So to give you a guided tour around my honey room imagine a white painted room measuring just three metres square. On the south side I have a double door the type that you have for patios but it opens into the honey room rather than sliding. It was a cheap purchase second hand from someone who was having some renovations done and fitted nicely into the space. It's not ideal but it does stop the bees from getting into the honey room. As we step into the honey room In the bottom left or southwest corner of the room we have the trays for the supers. I can get around 40 supers stacked into this space more than enough for this little room. Moving to the left or west side of the room there's a small window and in front of that we have our stainless steel table and on that we have a platform scale. It's actually a set of 500 mil square pet scales the type that vets would use to weigh your cat or dog. I use this to weigh each box of honey before it gets extracted. On top of the scales I have a kind of jig that pops up the frames from the super box. I saw this at one of the bee farmer meetings I went to and thought it was such a good idea. My wrists get quite tired after using a hive tool all day to pop up the frames out of the runners and this simple jig pops them all out in one go. Genius! Once the weight is taken and written down in the log each frame can be taken out and uncapped. For this I have a setup where I have the Carl Fritz brush uncapper mounted over my Swenty appy melter tank. The tank takes up the rest of the room on that west wall. When the brush uncapper is switched on, a rotating nylon brush spins rapidly and flicks off the cappings of any frame that's held close to it. This is then flicked down into the appy melter where it stays ready to be melted out into a block of wax. At least that's the way it's supposed to work what I've found is it sprays minute particles of wax down, but also back and also forwards. So generally, you have to be prepared to have wax thrown up into the lid of the appy melter, or into the back of the room, wherever you're extracting, and forwards onto whatever you're wearing at the time. Don't get me wrong, it's not hugely messy, just a small amount really, but it's enough to mean that at the end of the day, you're covered in small flecks of wax, they do brush off easily enough so it's no big chore really worse than this as i've explained previously the wax and honey in the lid of the api melter causes a lot of smoke when it's turned on and i guess it's a potential fire hazard too so this year i got hold of a large roll of pallet wrap and completely wrapped the inside of the lid and down into the api melter and i can report back that it worked brilliantly anyway Next to the appy melter in the middle of the north wall is my 20 frame stainless steel Carl Fritz radial extractor. No more hand cranked honey extraction just a flick of a switch and away it spins. It will hold 20 national brood frames as well as super frames so we can get the bees drawing and filling brood frames to be reused with nukes after the honey is extracted. When I'm extracting I leave the tap open on the extractor so the honey can run straight out into the bucket. This then gets poured through my strainer which is above a 100 kilo settling tank situated in the northeast corner of the room. The freshly strained honey then sits in the tank for a short while as we continue to extract before being drained into 30 pound honey buckets where I then make a quick check of the water content, write up the label and stick this on the side of the bucket. The buckets then go out of the honey room ready to be stored for when I need them. I almost forgot remember we weighed the super before we uncapped the frames? Well after extracting the frames go back into the supers and it's weighed again to get a net weight and a quick subtraction gives us an approximate weight of honey and wax from that super. I'm not really into boasting about how huge a honey harvest I've had so it doesn't have to be too complicated or accurate. The main reason for weighing is to know which colonies have given the greatest yield and then can be considered for queen rearing. Once all of the extraction is done I'll weigh the wax and subtract that from the overall total to give a closer approximation of the total honey yield that we have. So you can see with a little thought and imagination you can squeeze a lot of kit into a very small space. I also have my 100 kilo creamer unit and bottling machine on a stainless steel table behind the door in the southeastern corner of the room. Every inch is well used and I still managed to get Steph and Pete into the room to help out too. It all sounds quite straightforward and simple doesn't it? Well the reality is things don't always work out the way you'd like them to and on this occasion I delayed removing the honey by about a week too long. The majority of the honey had started to granulate in the comb which meant it couldn't be extracted. Instead of Gently holding the frames against the brush uncapper, I spent most of the day using an old bread knife to cut out the wax and honey from the frames and gradually filled the appy melter to the top. We did extract about a third of the frames, so it wasn't all cut out. And to be honest, I don't mind cutting out the frames as I have the appy melter which will melt down all of the wax and honey fairly quickly, and it gives me plenty of saved wax which this winter. I'm hoping I might convert into foundation using a mould at home rather than handing it over for wax exchange at one of the trade shows. The trick with oilseed rape honey is to get it off at just the right time if you don't want to be cutting it out like I have been this week. If you're listening to this podcast and you've still got your honey on the hives and they're on oilseed rape I think you might be too late. Consider it valuable rotation of older frames that needed fresh wax anyway and perhaps put in some unwired foundation to produce some lovely cut comb honey over the coming summer nectar flow. See there's always a positive view to take when you're beekeeping. All I need to do now is find some time to get my bees over to the field beans and ready for a bumper crop of honey as we move into the summer months. Well that's it for this week. Thanks for hanging around until the end of the podcast and do keep the comments coming. I'm Stuart Spinks and that was beekeeping short and sweet.